0: All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've entitled this Courage to Be Steadfast. So we, we saw the, the call to have courage to suffer, and now we have the, the call for courage to be, to be steadfast. And uh, he's going to begin in verses 1 through 7 here with a, a prescription, this call to be devoted to discipleship, be devoted to, to discipleship first one you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So, the the gospel, again, as we've seen, is central to, to Paul's ministry, and his instruction to Timothy here echoes something many of us are likely familiar with. What does this sound like? What is Paul's exhortation to Timothy here, particularly in these first two verses, what does it sound like? Where, is, where have you heard this before? It sounds a lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? Listen to Jesus' words, and hear, hear if it sounds the same. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, with the authority that I have been given, because I'm raised from the dead, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the, the age. Jesus, before his ascension, he called his disciples to make disciples who are to obey his teachings knowing, going, going, knowing that His presence is with them. It's like that's exactly what Timothy is telling, uh, or Paul is telling Timothy here, right? It's it's exactly, take the gospel truths and the teachings of Jesus and pass it on to others. Be a disciple who makes disciples and do this with the strength that God supplies you with His power and His, His presence. Like again at, at verse 1, right? You see this gospel strength. My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you can't really see this in your English translation, but the word strengthened there is in the passive tense. So if it's active, it's something you do. If it's passive, it's something that you allow to be done to you. My child, allow God to strengthen you is the image here. I often use the the imagery of, of putting up a sail, right? So you put up a sail to allow the wind to have effect upon you. My child, Timothy, and again, it's not his son, but it's his son in the faith as it were, put up the sail of faith and allow the strengthening grace of God to carry you on in the work. This is too much for you. That's why the Spirit is given to you to help you, to aid you. The source of strength that Timothy is to go on ministering in is God himself. God is going to empower him through prayer, through his very presence. So he has gospel strength as he goes about doing this work. Verse 2, we also see the gospel mission. Pass on the, the truth is what he says. Now, let's see who's decent at math in here. I want you to try and count up how many generations are in view here. How many generations are in view here? Who thinks they, they can, can come up with that? How many generations do you see there? A specific number is what I'm looking for who thinks they can count <laughs> Pardon What's here in the in verse in verses 1 and 2 What huh 4 okay what's the first generation Right well you have Paul where do you see who preached the gospel to him where do you see that You're assuming no in the text here it says good assumption but because somebody did preach it to him but You've got Paul. That's your first generation. Who's your next one? Timothy and the witnesses that he heard it with. What's your next generation? The faithful men that Timothy's supposed to give it to, and then who? The others. That's your four generations. So four generations, yes, wrong reason, but yes, four. That's at least you got it right. Notice here that, that discipleship is, is to be deliberate, Paul's telling Timothy to not just go and say, hey, see what happens, but he's to have a strategy here. He's to be, I think, two things particularly, intentional, and he's supposed to have expectation. First, in your discipleship, Timothy, be intentional. have Have a plan of what you're trying to do. Take the things that you've heard from me, and I want you to give them to just anybody. Is that what it says? No, to a particular kind of person. So there is one sense in which we we minister to everybody. That's true. But there's another sense in which believers are supposed to have an eye toward who are the who are some faithful believers around me that that I could pour into to help them grow. This discipleship is going to be done both. Uh, it's going to be both taught and caught. Right. So. The Lord Jesus, when, he's, when he's, he's, he's about it, the guys are there, he's teaching, but then he's also doing what? He's living it right in front of them. They're watching him. Discipleship for us is the same way. We, we hear teaching, but then we imitate the faith of those who are more mature in the faith. We, we see the way that they handle conflict and we ask them, so how did, you, how did you navigate that? And they talk about how the word applies in those particular situations or when they're in a really rough deal and they need to, they're need wrestling with forgiveness. How do you do this? You want to emulate somebody who's, who's walked that road before and they can show you how to apply the gospel in those situations. So he's to be intentional in his discipling. And then also in his discipling is going to be an expectation. You you are entrusting God truths with the expectation that they're going to give them to others. So if there's somebody that I'm discipling, if I'm, in one sense, we're all discipling one another all the time, but in another sense, there's to be a specific sort of focus, which I think Paul is calling Timothy here. So if there's a guy that I'm spending some time with, one of the things I'm going to communicate to him in some way, shape, or form is, hey, the things you're getting, the things we're talking about, the things you're watching, I'm expecting you to be prayerfully looking for who you can give it to. So the goal is not just to like, be a smarter sinner, just get a bunch of stuff, collect a bunch of knowledge, and be like, all right. Like that's, Christians are not supposed to be cul-de-sacs. They're supposed to be conduits through which the truth flows to others. So I want to encourage us, as Paul was encouraging Timothy, to always have an eye toward who's somebody. And listen, you don't have to know everything. This is not the point. All you've got to do is take the Bible, open it, read it with somebody else, talk about what it means, how it applies, and if you get stumped on something, reach out to somebody and they'll help you. This is just, this is just how it goes. But Paul here tells Timothy, you have gospel strength and you have a gospel mission with other generations in view. Be intentional and have expectation baked into it. We need to carry this, this message on. Now, the sort of spirit by which you do this, he's going to give a picture here, three of them, three common everyday illustrations he's going to use to emphasize the message that he's giving to Timothy here. And the message that he's giving Timothy is, share in suffering, verse 3. So as you go about this discipling sort of ministry, you've got to know it's going to be opposed. So, you've got to share in the suffering of Christ follow my example, engage in the ministry knowing suffering is going to come, but know that it's worth it. Let me give you three examples of everyday things that kind of teach the same thing he would say. He's going to talk about a a uh, a shoulder, not a shoulder, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Notice there uh, verse 4. So, he says, uh, verse 3, share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So first, the soldier here is faithfully dedicated to the mission. Soldiers are not entangled in civilian pursuits. Rather, a soldier's aim is to please the captain or the person who enlists them and gives them orders. That's their job as a soldier. They don't get caught up in other stuff. They're they're focused on the mission that's given them, right? They're dedicated to the mission, faithfully. Another example is that of an athlete. Um, An athlete here, verse verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So, an athlete sacrificially disciplines himself or herself to train to practice, to participate in the game according to the rules, because if they don't, what happens? You get DQ'd, right? If you use steroids and you win, what happens soon enough? They find out, they strip you of your crown, and you're out. What happens if you're running a race and you, you, step, on the, you step on the line, you're out of bounds, whatever it may be? There's, there's rules, right? Well, all of your training that you do, it, it goes in this sort of disciplined training to, with the eye of doing the game correctly so that you can win the prize. And then he uses another illustration, that of a farmer who's expectantly diligent to get up early, to plow the field, to sow the seed, to water the ground, to trust that crops are going to come up soon. That's in verse six. It's a hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. And then he says this, verse seven: "Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." Paul tells Timothy to meditate on what he said. So let's do that for a moment. What do these three things, these three illustrations, what do they have in common? What is why does he pull from these three illustrations of a soldier? an athlete, and a farmer. What do they all have in common? Discipline, diligence, okay. okay. Submission, okay, so there's submission, good. What else? They're committed, good. They faithfully endure, good, getting warmer. They. What did you say? They have hope of a reward. They persevere because they have hope of a reward. They discipline themselves because there's hope of a reward. They say no to Reese's Pieces, which are the best candy, because they're training for this thing, (laughs) right? They they say whatever. You can go through all of this, right? The idea here is they all do what they do for a prize. Now comes suffering. Then comes glory. That's, that's the theme behind all of these. Now submission. Now discipline, patience. Then comes celebration. Then comes feasting. Then comes commendation. They're willing to suffer now so they can enjoy the reward later. See what Paul's telling Timothy? Endure suffering as a soldier of Christ Jesus because, Timothy, there's a reward ahead of you. Soon and very soon, you'll, you'll see the Lord Jesus and you'll hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Let that reward affect everything you do. Let it motivate your discipline and your commitment and your perseverance and your willingness to not compromise with sin or to, to cower in fear, but, but allow it to, to warm your heart. Allow it to cause you to fan into flame the gift that has been given to you. To not be afraid of, of being associated with me or with Jesus, because there's a prize. It's, it's, it's almost like, whether you like John Piper or not, one of the things that anytime I hear John Piper preach I'm like, that dude is like a foot in, in heaven while he's preaching. It's like he's he got there, you know, and he's screaming and he's like, I'm there. That's just how it feels. It's what Paul feels like here. It's his body is in the most hellish kind of place on earth, but his heart and his mind is in glory with Jesus. And it's like he's it's like he can see it. And he's like Timothy, oh, it's worth Just, it's worth it. There's suffering. There's discipline. There's hard work. There's betrayals. There's so many things. But it's so worth it. Because you get Jesus. You know Him now. And you'll get Him then. So be devoted to discipleship. Find some faithful people. Take this gospel truth, no matter what it costs you. Tell them that no matter what it costs them, it's going to be worth it. And tell them to give it to somebody else. And do this by the strength that God supplies. Which, part of that, to your question, Jason, part of that is this this heavenly reward sort of view. That view fuels now. Now. You draw strength from then, now. You look to that day, and you come back to this day, and you're like, let's go. Like, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to say to me? I don't care if you don't like what I said on Facebook. That's fine. I don't care if you're going to, you know, whatever sort of little thing comes, or maybe a big thing. I might lose my job here, but you know what? 10,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, I'll still be thankful that I didn't cower in fear whatever it may be Paul will tell Timothy here it's worth it so be devoted to discipleship no matter the cost because the reward is great suffer now glory later now in verses 8 through 13 he's going to tell him to persist persist in remembering Jesus Christ verse 8 remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the word of god is not bound <laughs> therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may uh, obtain they may also obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we shall also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he will also deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. As the illustrations that Paul just used, portrayed, Timothy is to set his eyes on the prize and to press on in faithful ministry. And the only way to do that is, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, if you want to hear the best sermon that I've ever heard on that, you can listen to Shylin's T4G uh, message on, on this verse right here. It was great. But he's not here, so we're going to do it. Verse 8, <laughs> remember Jesus Christ. Pa- Paul, I mean this guy's at the end of his life and one of the things he would say for certain is, you never graduate from this. You can never improve upon Jesus. He only gets greater and more cl- greater and more glorious in your eye and your heart as he becomes more clear to you. He only ever increases in beauty. Remember Him. Look to Him. You never get over the the simplest things that, that you love Him. Never get over that. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now, why do you think He picks those two things right here in this context, helping Timothy to be strong in the face of suffering? Why risen from the dead and the offspring of David? How's that help him? Good. So there's going to be a, a, a sympathetic sort of suffering because he's the God Man. Certainly true. Yeah, he's he's the victorious King who defeated death. He's a he's a sympathizing High Priest and and suffering servant, but he is also a victorious King. He rose from the dead, and now he's enthroned as, the, as the, the Davidic king who rules and reigns over all things. Jesus is the Lord of all, and in light of that, if you're enlisted by him, there's great confidence. Like, what are they going to do to you? Jesus will make it right. He'll make it right. Look to him. Remember Jesus Christ, the one preached in my gospel. Notice here, Paul preaches Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his reign, his return, he preaches Jesus. And in verse 9, there's consequences for this faithfulness. He says, I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but <laughs> the Word of God is not bound. You could shackle the messenger, but you can't shackle the message, right? You can chain the apostle, but you can't contain the gospel. You just can't do it. He's like, they've locked me down, and you know what? I'm sharing the gospel with everybody here. He's like, you can't, you can't stop this thing. They killed him. They cut off his head. But you know what? 2,000 years later, the message is still alive, alive and well. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You can't snuff out God's word. Verse 10, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, it's highlighting a connection between what's just been said and what he's about to say. Therefore, so in light of the ever-enduring certainty of God's Word, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. In light of the ever-enduring reign of the risen Lord Jesus, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He says, I'm going to be I'm going to be mocked for them. I'm going to be beaten for them. I'm going to be stoned for them. I'm going to be shackled for them. I'm going to be put to death for them. I'm here to serve God's people no matter what the cost. The elect are God's people set apart from eternity past that are called by His grace in time and history that that they are believers that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I suffer now So that they can share in glory with me forevermore. Just notice here how, because he's hung out with Jesus so much, he acts a lot like Jesus. Jesus left the glories of heaven, humbled himself to become a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. Why? Certainly for the glory of God, but why else? so that you could see the glory of God. Jesus came and suffered so that you could share in his glory, so that you and I could enjoy him forever. (laughs) Paul's been hanging out with Jesus. That's why he's like, I'm willing to suffer anything for the people of God, which is a wonderful example for us. Aren't we so tempted just to hold on to our rights? aren't we just so tempted to hold on to our comforts, to just try and stay safe and comfortable and just kind of have our little dream and keep everything in? But Paul would be like, that's, don't do that. He's like, why would you do that? There's so much more joy if you just forget yourself in the sense of surrender your rights for the good of others that they could see Jesus. He's like, that's living. That's worth dying for. And that's what he's doing here. That they may share in the salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Notice there's a, a future focus again. Can you see it? This guy cannot get glory off his mind. It's, it's, it's everywhere for him. He's got that day in view. And of course you'd say, well, yeah, he's on death row and he's, he's old guy and all that kind of stuff. But like, this has been, well, he's he'd been about this the whole time. <laughs> It's just ever increasing. Read all the rest of the letters. He does the same thing there too. You don't have to be on death row and near the end of your life to be able to have this sort of eternal sobriety. This is a gift of God available now. This is part of the reason this Word is given to us, to help us get some spiritual smelling salts to awaken our souls so that we too might have that sort of vision because it liberates you to live for Him and die for Him no matter what. Paul looks at the painful trials as a necessary part of ensuring that others are able to inherit the glory that he knows he's about to go into. And then verse, verse 11, interesting here, he says, the, the saying is trustworthy. So, what he's about to do is he's about to tie what he's just said to some truths. Notice here, he, he's going to root his actions, his thinking in truth. Truths about Jesus. Now the saying is trustworthy. So what he's, he's he's going to refer here to something that Timothy and other believers would have known about. So we don't know if this is like an early hymn, like this is one of the songs. So you could do this, you know, like if you would be like, uh, man, the, the saying is trustworthy. You know, prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love you know, and they're like, but take my heart, Lord, take and seal it, you know, like we could do that, and grab, grab words from songs and bring it in. Um, he might be doing that, it might be a hymn, or it might be um, a, even a, someone suggested a baptismal kind of formula or a catechism that would have been, would have been read uh, before a baptism. We're not sure, but it's some sort of liturgy that would have been well known by the churches, okay? And this is what it is. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we, endure with, if we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Let's take each of these for a moment. Verse 11, if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Union with Jesus' death gives union with Jesus' life. Where, have you, where else do you see that in Paul's writings? Romans 6, yeah, been baptized into Christ in his death. He'd be baptized into his resurrection. Uh, Colossians 3, right? So this is all over the place, right? So the idea here is if you're united with his death, you're united with his His life. Verse 12, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. This is highlighting what? Perseverance, right? Perseverance in Jesus… Promises glorification with Jesus. So if you died with him, you're going to live with him. If you persevere with him, he promises that you're going to be glorified with him. You're going to reign with him forever and ever. If we deny him, verse 12, he will also deny us. So apostasy from Jesus assures condemnation by Jesus. So Philegius and Hermogenes, those, those people who, who forsook Jesus, they denied him. So what awaits them is, is judgment. Jesus would say, anybody who's ashamed of me and my words, my father would be ashamed of him when I return with the angels on the day of judgment. And then verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, this could mean one of two things, or it could mean both. I think it might mean both. Both are true. I'm not sure which one He intends. This either means, if we are faithful, He remains faithful, either means that God remains faithful to judge apostates. If we are faithless, God is faithful. He will judge those who turn away from Him. That's true, 2 Thessalonians 1.8. Or it could also mean if we are faithful, He remains faithful. Despite our unfaithfulness, Jesus does not give up on His people even though their faith is weak and their faithfulness is weak in regards to resisting sin. That also is true. So, amen, praise God. (laughs) Which one it is, I'm not sure exactly, but what we do know is it roots it here in His character. For He cannot deny himself. What we can know about these truths right here is that God God will never change. Notice here the old question, is there anything God can't do? Oh yeah. He can never change. He can never lie. God's not going to lie. He's not going to change. He can't do it. His very nature, he just he, he is truth. He can't become untruth. This is who He is. He won't deny himself. So if he makes you a promise that he's going to raise you up from the dead, you can bet your biscuits he will raise you from the dead. Same thing that if, if you deny him, he promises that he will deny you. He makes promises. He keeps promises both to judge and to save. And you can just see Paul, Paul's like, all the chips are on those promises. He's not keeping any. I mean, he just put them all on well, Jesus is going to raise me from the dead, and he's not afraid. So that helps him to tell Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. Remember what everybody around here is believing about him. Remember him. And be devoted to discipleship, no matter what it costs. It's worth it. Now, verse 14 14 through 19, rightly divide or rightly handle the Word, rightly handle the Word. Verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and it will, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul tells Timothy, Remind him. So this goes back to this discipling. Things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men, he's coming back to that now. He's given them a boost of encouragement. Jesus is going to keep His words, hang on to Him, remember Him. Now, remind them, the faithful that you're ministering to, remind them, bring to their remembrance the truths that they've been taught, and charge them, warn them with a future reality in in view, not to quarrel about words. Don't quarrel about words, he says. That literally means to war about words. Don't fight over words. And he says, which does no one good, but only ruins the hearers. The word ruins means to, to do harm to someone by misleading them. Now, you might have a question here, like, hold on, wait. Are you, how are they supposed to confront false teachers if they don't quarrel about words with them? I mean, there has to be something. He's going to tell them later to rebuke people and to reprove people. I think the idea here is don't waste your time getting caught up in just debates and wars about words. But focus on the Word of God. It's more of a a positive, teach the truth, lean into that, rather than get sidelined by just fighting and quarreling about words all the time. This is basically a warning against Twitter. So he's like, don't get on Twitter, Timothy. It's gonna ruin your life. Where people are just gonna, you know, you're like, I love my new puppy. And like somebody's gonna be like, oh, you must hate cats. Why do you hate cats so much? You're like, why do you say a word about cats? <laughs> like, it's just people do that. And if you get into you can do that with theological stuff all day long. Right? He says, don't get caught up in all that nonsense. He's like, be about the word. Don't know, they'll just get into these sideline fights. I, I remember when I first became really, well, after I'd, I'd been a believer for a little bit, I got really zealous in trying to share the gospel with Mormons. And I remember I would meet with them, and we would go round and round and round, and then round and round, and then they'd come back the next week, and we'd round and round about the same stupid stuff all the time. And we just made no ground. It was the, just a big waste of time. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't share the gospel with Mormons, and if you happen to be here and you come from Latter-day Saints background, no shade to you. It was, that was not a good experience. Happy to talk with you about the gospel, but I want to be really clear, like, there are so many fruitless religious conversations, you know, you know do I many of you have belly buttons, huh? Let's fight about that. Like, like, people, let's talk about the most important things and keep those central, Right? They didn't. They were created, not born. So anyway, um, but nevertheless, don't quarrel about words. Verse 15, rather, do your, present, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul is about to see God, and he is helping Timothy and us to be sober-minded about our ministry of the word. Now, just pause. I'm going to say this to be really clear. This is an apostle talking to a guy who helps oversee, in a very pastoral sort of way, a church. But do not get it twisted that this is just for pastors, even though it's the pastoral epistles. Like, this is for all believers, okay? All believers are to be about the Word with other people. This is what we do. This is what Christians do. You take the Word and you use it in your conversations with others and you help other people grow. This is applicable to everybody. He says, Timothy, be about the Word. right? 2.14, charge them before God, he says. So when we proclaim the truth to people, we do so before the view of God. So as I proclaim this here tonight, I do it with God, God is watching, which means I'm responsible for everything I say, and you and I are responsible for receiving it and applying it. Paul says, "Charge them before God to do this. He witnesses it. He will examine it. He will call to account." And he tells them in verse 15 to do your best. Do your best. Work hard. Be zealous. Be eager for. Take pains in. You could feel the he's he's trying to help Timothy capture this, this this idea of of intensity, of urgency. He's pleading with Timothy to invest effort in the ministry of the word. Don't be a spiritual sloth, Timothy. Engage. And he's drawing upon what he said earlier in the passage, right, with, with the soldier, the athlete, the farmer illustration. It's that same sort of diligence you can hear is driving this conversation here. And verse 15, strive to present yourself to God as faithful. Particularly, Timothy's ministry has to do with the, the word of truth. That's God's word. It's the scriptures. It's the gospel. It's all the way through this book, 113, the pattern of sound words. 2.9, the word of God is not bound. 2.14, it's contrasted with irreverent babel. 2.18, you can swerve from this truth. 2.25, God can grant repentance, leading people to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, uh, the deceived never arrive at the truth but oppose the truth. 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Four, two, therefore, preach the Word. Four, four. Some turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. Four, five, endure suffering, fulfill your ministry. The whole thing is about the Word. He says, Timothy, be about the word. When we open this book, we're not just hearing a collection of opinions, but rather the very voice of God. And part of our ministry is to be in the Word, under the Word, in it, meaning we know it, under it means we're submitted to it, through it means we're obeying it, and then we're giving it to others. So everything you do, let it be saturated with the Word. Be men and women of the Word. Know it, believe it, give it to others. There's nothing better, it gives life. I mean, this is the most basic thing about living on this planet. This is one of the things we teach our kids. That the, the, one of the first lessons we have to teach them is the world is not about you. Like it's just life's just not about you. You're here, you get to enjoy it, but this, this it's just not about you. And in the same way, God, one of the things He said this it's just not all about you. It's my world. We are the creature. We are the creatures. He is the Creator which means that we have no right to dismiss him. We have no right to breathe his air, to live on our borrowed time, to do what we want. Instead, rather, we're to humbly come to him and say, Lord, what do you say? And the way we find out is through his word. His spirit gives his word to us. We'll hear more about that in in just a moment. And what Timothy is being charged to do here by Paul is to rightly handle the word of truth. Rightly handle it. Uh, it's, a, the, the, it's a compound Greek word. It means to cut straight. To cut it straight. So anytime you're using the word, you've got you to cut it straight. There's, to cut without deviation. To, to go along the straight line. It's, 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 a, it's a word that would have been familiar to the working class of Paul's day. Rome, when Rome built a road, they didn't have these windy roads. They go A to B. They're like, we're going we gonna to go through the mountain. <laughs> right? Or um, if you've got a, a, a mason who's going to be building a wall, you've got a, a straight line to ensure that the wall is straight. Or a tent maker is going to cut lines of material straight so that when they sew together it won't leak he says the same way with the Word, you got to cut it straight. You've, you've got to cut it straight. So for pastors or anybody who aspires to be a pastor, your job is to keep what God says, to keep what you say directly in line with what God says. you got to have straight speech guided by the plumb line of God's Word. The pastor has no right to get sidetracked with soapboxes, unnecessary political commentary, all sorts of speculation about whatever. The pastor has no right to cut off the sharp edges. I don't like to talk about hell. I don't like to talk about sin. I never want to preach that part about Joshua and the conquest because uh, who likes that? Like, like you don't have the right. Then don't be a pastor. Just don't be a pastor. You'll, you'll, you'll thank yourself on the Day of Judgment. We don't have the right to take detours around unpopular topics, about sexuality, about divorce, about remarriage, about predestination. Like, you don't get to, like, skip those verses. You don't get to ignore context to make passage fit an agenda. (laughs) Like, we're going to preach Nehemiah because we want a building campaign, or because we want to build a wall or whatever you want to use Nehemiah for. It's been butchered many a time. Examine God's Word. Craft your comments to ensure that what you are saying is in line with what God's saying. Warn as God warns. Comfort as God comforts. Urge as God urges. Be tender as God has been tender with you. God calls pastors to rightly handle the Word of Truth. We live in a transient. So first, first thing, if you're a member of this church, your job is to make sure that pastors who preach here do that. So you should fire me if I start lying about God. Please fire me for your soul's sake and for mine. If you go to another church, or like whatever, if you move from here and you go to another church or whatever it may be, you make sure you have a pastor who's going to tell you the truth. There's a lot of people out there who's happy to not tell you the truth. Make sure you find somebody who tells you the truth. Whenever you go on mission trips, this is... <laughs> I'm always nervous whenever I go on a mission trip and there's a translator because I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> so I'm proclaiming something, then I pause and let him translate, and then I've you know, I got somebody who, who's, who can speak both languages. I'm like, is he Is that right? (laughs) You know? Because you want to make sure that he's he's accurately representing what I'm trying to say, right? He's not gonna just go off doing his own agenda. Well, in the same way, pastors are to be like that. But it's not just for pastors. All Christians, when we come to the Bible, the aim is to handle it rightly. We come and and we wanna study the word. So don't just, don't, and yes, there may be a time for this, but don't just come and do Bible roulette. we are like, okay, well, today we're going to do Jeremiah 38, and that's where you're going to be. Or you're just going to grab a Bible verse and use it as some kind of fortune cookie. Like, that's not the way we handle the Word. Learn to read God's Word. That's why we do boot camps like this. It's to teach you how to open a book, how to work through verse by verse to see what that looks like, and then for you to go grab a book of the Bible and to do the same. We're to come to God's Word to hear from Him with the hope that He'll change our minds and He'll change our hearts and He'll change our affections, that we'd think what He thinks, that we'd love what He loves, that we'd hate what He hates, that we'd desire what He desires so that we can walk in ways that are pleasing to Him. Pray like that when you come and read the Bible. Say, God, change me. Please do not just do religious stuff where you read the Bible so you can check it off and feel better. like That's not, that's not what the Lord wants. Now, sometimes you got to discipline yourself. And you're just like, I'm reading and I'm not getting much. Lord, help me. That, that happens all the time too. But keep asking God for help. God's people must rightly handle God's Word so that we can present ourselves before God without shame, he says here. Because our study of God's Word shapes our affections about how we feel about God and His Word. It shapes our applications, how we're going to walk in obedience to God. Straight cutting leads to straight stepping. And that's what we want to be about. So brothers and sisters, whether you're a pastor or not a pastor, learn to read the Bible. Learn to understand what it means. Grow in it. Labor in it. There's nothing better. What we see in God's Word shows up in the way we walk out God's Word. One of the best things to help you in this is to have other believers around you. So not just reading by yourself, but reading. This is one of the reasons I like these kinds of settings. We're going to have feedback and talk back and that kind of stuff. Bible time, all the more. Different settings, smaller settings. Study God's Word together. Now, before we move on, I think one of the things we need to not skip on, skip over that we, we read in this section, is... To labor in the work because of the evaluation of your work that's coming. Notice again, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. To present yourself to God, to make oneself stand is what that means. Timothy, be diligent to labor in your ministry of the Word so that you can stand before God in a way that is approved as a worker who's not ashamed. The word approved means to be tested, to be genuine, to be proven. It's that sincere sort of word from before. You see, Paul is telling Timothy he's got to keep the day of judgment in view in everything that he does. Every time he studies, every time he speaks, every time he applies, it's with the final evaluation in view. Same for you in your ministry with people. Don't be afraid of what God's Word says. Share it with people. Be honest. Don't be ashamed of what God's Word says. Because though our... There is an evaluation of our lives and ministries at the end. Now, I want to be be clear here. Um, The Scriptures teach that our standing with God, our justification... Is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our our judicial standing before God, we are accepted completely and established completely on the finished work of Jesus. Okay? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. At the same time, the Bible also teaches. That Timothy is to zealously do his ministry in a way that will present himself approved before God. Our lives can be pleasing or displeasing to the Lord. Our handling of His Word can be faithful or unfaithful. Ministry in His name can be acceptable or unacceptable. The fruit of our ministries and our lives will be evaluated according to God's Word. A worker, he says, be a worker as one who has no need to be ashamed. Brothers and sisters, this is not intended to to scare you, but it's intended to humble us to remember that we'll give an account for the way we live. The blood of Christ covers all of our sins, and on the last day we will stand in His grace. That is true. But you can hear that Paul does want want Timothy to just lean on grace in such a way that, that just dismisses all sorts of, of need for, for accountability. So, labor in a way that has the end in, in view. And then, look at verse, uh, verse 18, or verse uh, 17. Where were we? Yeah, verse 16. So, verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Notice, going down the track of going away from cutting it straight leads people in a different direction. It's going to lead to more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. This disease is just going to spread. Where you can see this happens in churches and in denominations where you just give up on cutting it straight because of social pressure or whatever else it may be. Next thing you know, the whole church is just ravished by sin. The whole denomination, their posters are sin. He says, don't do that. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. You're like, what does that mean? One of the early teachings… One of the early false teachings, so they didn't cut it straight, they they went sideways, was that they taught that the resurrection has already happened. You You are resurrected now, believer. You're under grace, so it doesn't matter what you do in your body because your body isn't really you. The real you is your spirit. So, do whatever you want with your body. Get drunk, go, you know, have sex with whoever you want. It doesn't matter because the real you is the resurrected you who's within you? Your body is actually sub subhuman. It's not real. It's this Gnostic sort of dualism. Paul says that is not the Bible. You are spiritual and physical, and what you do in your body matters. But these guys, they said, no, it's the spirit that matters. It's your, you've been spiritually resurrected so therefore do whatever you want. He says they are upsetting the faith of some. Some people are buying that, and they're off indulging in immorality because these jokers lied to them about what God's Word says. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Lord knows His people and His people know Him. And if you know the Lord, don't follow the false teaching that gives you permission for your sin. But rather, follow the straight line. Follow the good path paved by faithful teaching of God's Word. And in whatever way you use God's Word, cut it straight. Don't be lying to people about who God is and what He he says. We're going to pause. Let's take questions, and then we'll do the last section of chapter 2, and then tomorrow we're going to come back and do chapter 3. So let's pause. What questions, comments, insights do you have about what Paul is telling Timothy here in chapter 2, so far, we've made it up through verse 19. Hey, I'm Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Um, yeah, the question for that had was in the, if we disown him, he will disown us. Uh, is that speaking to believers, like as in a way of losing salvation? Or like if you walk away, then you're disowned? Or is that like you just disown him to begin with, he's disowning you? Great. Yeah, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Um that would be someone who would prove themselves to not be a believer. So saving faith is persevering faith. If your faith does not persevere, it's not saving faith. And so if, and Jesus talks about this sort of thing, like somebody sprouts up and they're like, yes, yes, I'm with the Lord. I'm throwing out all my ACDC stuff, or you know, whatever it is. And I'm gonna get rid of cable, and I'm gonna love God, and I'm gonna, you know, go walk some old ladies across the street. I'm gonna do good stuff. I'm in. I'm gonna show up at church, and da da da, and all that kind of stuff. And then persecution starts coming, and hardship starts coming, and they're like, "I'm out on this Jesus stuff," and they're back to wherever they were. Um, he says, "You never knew me. I never knew you." So the idea here is that if if your, if your faith is not a persevering faith, that's not the same as a perfect faith. And that's where I think the, the, the truth is that if we are faithful, he remains, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The struggling saint has much hope because there's a perfect God who works in the midst of all of our messes. But for those who renounce Christ, like these, these people he's talking about, Demas loved the world, he just went back to the world, uh, these other guys who are going off to other stuff that's not Jesus, he's like, there's not hope for them. He will deny them on the last day. And they will will stand in their own gospel, in their own righteousness before a holy God, and it will not go well for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you love the Lord and you're striving and you're fighting against sin, you have much to be encouraged by. Um, When we're faithless, He remains faithful, and He will not deny Himself. He'll keep you. Um, But don't deny the Lord Jesus and persist in that. Otherwise, there's no hope. I'm Madeline. Hi. A uh, quick question about verse 8. You talked about the significance of risen from the dead, but I'm, I might have missed the significance of offspring of David. Yeah, he's the king. So he's the king who rules and reigns. So to so Paul is not going to be scared of Caesar, who's Lord. Uh, there's a different Lord that he, that he knows rules and reigns over everything, as proven by the fact that he's raised from the dead. So, yeah. Um, Joey. I had a comment instead of a question. So, uh, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to, one, to God as one approved. So, yeah, to me, that made me sad and discourages me as I think about my past and present sin. And it's like, oh, well, definitely not there to be one approved. But then looking back at what you're talking about at verse 13, you know, praise God that he remains faithful. Yep. that just, yeah, that warms me, comforts me, and gives me hope knowing that it's because of God, not because of me. And yes, strive to do better, to continue to grow in, in love and faith, to better uh, present the gospel, and knowing that it all comes to Him. So it's kind of, yeah, weird having that balance of both being sad, examining yourself, but then having to the hope in Christ. Yeah, and I think it's a wonderful way to feel the tension of the text that there's an appropriate sobriety that comes when we evaluate, we look at our lives like, man, there's some times I was cowardly. But then what that does, it actually works for you. Because what it does is then as a believer, you say, Lord, would you forgive me for that? Ah, and then you're strengthened by grace, which helps you, which is actually the response that the Lord wants, which he's glorified in that. So even in your failure, because you can go back to the reservoir of grace, there's more grace and God gets glory and He's pleased with that. So, yes, there's failures. Yes, there's times we were cowardly. Yes, there's, there's, there's sin along the way. But the more that we run back to the reservoir of grace, the more glory that He gets and the more joy that we find and, and we, we can have confidence. Even though we know, we know that we haven't been perfect along the way, but we know we've gone back to the Lord and asked Him for mercy and He loves to get it. So that's, that's a, it's a good word on the tension of the text there. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy again, um, when you were talking about finding people around us that, that we wanna like um, I guess spend time with or pour into and um, I guess decide with one another, what are you looking for in those people? Because I feel like we, we have many options um, and, and many friends and believers that, that we can share with and, and are mutually encouraging. Um, but I'm assuming we can't do that with everyone so, what characteristics would you be looking for, and how do we differentiate that from just like people we enjoy that, that are believers? It's a good question. Um, I don't want to overly prescribe it, but I think you want to, you want to see who's, who's eager. Like, who's eager? Who, who wants to learn? Who, who wants to grow? Who, you know, um, I know she doesn't want to hear this, but Karen, for me, is an example of that. I know you don't like this, sorry. Um, but she's eager. Like, she wants to know stuff. She wants to, and she's not going to just be settled for, like, a pat answer. She's like, I don't think that's what it was. She'll be like, that doesn't, what is this? And, like, she'll just wrestle with it. Um, and then she'll take it from there, and she really wants to, like, how do I live that out? And how do I do that better? And like you can see, like that kind of person. Like I'm not generally morally into cloning people, but like I want to clone that sort of posture in people. I want I want that sort of eagerness to be there, Um, you know? Yes. Um, So thank you, sister, for being a good example. Um, But we we want that kind of thing. So if there's somebody who I'm like I'm trying to force feed. I may persist for a little while, but eventually, I may just say, "Hey, listen, I, I love love you. I'll help you in some way I can." But like, most of my time, energy, and effort are not going to be there just because they're not they're not hungry, and I'm not going to like force them to to do it. You know? So, um, yeah, those would be a couple things. Are they available? Also, so the old the old adage is you're looking for fat people, faithful, available, teachable. Was what that's what I was taught early on. You're looking for faithful people, people are, who are who are committed, who are available, and who are teachable. They're eager, they're hungry, they're ready to go. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Tori. Um, so, in verse 14, I was just wondering, in our own evangelism and apologetics, would you ever say there's a time for us to, like, stop, like, oh, yeah. in our relationship? And, like, if so, what does that look like? How do okay. you do that well? Yeah. yeah, there's definitely times that I think in evangelism that I, I've, I've said, hey, listen, I I think you're awesome. I think you, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate our conversations. I feel like we're kind of spinning our wheels a little bit and it feels like we're not really making any ground and I don't I don't sense there's like a real desire for us to like really progress in this conversation. So, we're still cool. We can still do barbecue. We can still hang out and be friends, but like I think it'd probably be best for us to not spend tons of time talking about this right now. And I th- you'll just kind of know when that's the time, I think. You just want to pray for the Lord to give you wisdom in that. Um, I, I think every relationship is going to be a little different, you know. Um, I do think one thing that's important is to remember, though, is that in evangelism, that people are people, they're not projects, right? So, we want to be very careful to not just like try and get one for Jesus or something like that's not That's not how we treat treat people. So, I think if if the relationship is always oriented around, you're my neighbor, I want to love you as my neighbor, I want to care about you, and the, the most important way for me to care for you is to help you understand the good news of the gospel, and I want to share that with you, but if they're like cutting that off, um, or it's just leading to just fighting all the time, or just whatever, I think I think it's okay for them to be like, hey, how about for now we kind of hold off on, on that, and then if they're like, well, actually, I'd really like to talk more, then maybe, but sometimes you just it's kind of a feel. It's a little bit of art and science. So I think you just pray for discernment, and if you have a particular situation, would be happy to give you some counsel. A so. couple more? Yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Jordan. Uh, hey, Jordan. How do we know when God is calling us to confront sin in others, especially in other believers? Great. How do we know that God, or when God is calling us to confront sin in others? Um, first of all, I'm thankful that you, you have a category that we should do that. We live in a day and age where that sounds judgmental and um, you know, unloving, and just to be really clear, we are called to do that, right? So I'll just give you a verse, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So that's like one of like 50 places we could have read, 50 is probably exaggeration, but a, a dozen. I think first thing is proximity. So, how close are you to the person? How well do you know them? Um, And is the sin against you? Like, so if they've sinned against you, then Jesus is really clear that in Matthew 18 that you go and you talk to them first privately. If it's against someone else and you're in a relationship there and there's kind of a, a situation, you can help that person talk to them, but then if it doesn't go well, then maybe you can be part of the Matthew 18 with the, the other group that goes and talks to them. Um, I think the short answer, though, is if nobody else is doing it, at some point you probably should, especially if the proximity is someone who is in your home, in your church family, or in your, your, your Christian kind of hangout group. I, I think proximity is going to be, be a big deal there. Um, and I know it may feel awkward, so I think you want to be prayerful in the way that you do it, but yeah, believers should not just allow other believers to get destroyed by sin. And even if it doesn't, isn't received well, I think you want, to, you want to be prayerfully willing to make that step. So I'm not sure if that's helpful at all, if you have a follow-up on that. Um. um. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you brought up the uh, proximity part, but sometimes I've just been wondering if believers are more called to be more outspoken in general against, like, sin and culture, sin against, like, I guess just in general, um, yeah. with, especially with, like, um, maybe with other believers in the church. Like, if we see, like, okay, these people are acting or behaving in a certain way, should we be more outspoken in general yeah. and stuff like that? So yeah, I, I think it really matters. depends on what's going on. So, like, if... If you're part of a, a church and there's a, a group who, you know, they're, they're going out and looks like they're getting drunk and indulging in just kind of things that, that, that dishonor the Lord, I think if there's someone in the group that you, you know, whoever the one you know the best in, I think you maybe take them out for breakfast or lunch or just say, hey, I'd love to catch up and talk with you. There's something I've, I've been praying about that I'd like to share with you and say, help me understand what's going on. So I think you want to start with asking questions. Um, the way I'm reading it, it looks like this is happening help me understand what's happening, and then kind of go in. But I think eventually you need to be able to to say something. So I do think we should be willing to have conversations like that with one another. Um, I just want to encourage any of you, if someone approaches you like that, your initial impulse is probably going to be defensive. I just want to encourage you to fight against that. The first thing should be like, maybe this is a messenger of mercy from the Lord hear them out. If there's genuinely, if they're off, then be like, talk about it and help get the, the facts straight. But um, I, I do think, especially here in our culture, we're going we're gonna to tend toward cowardliness. And I think we should be, on the last day, we won't be sorry that we talked to people about their sin. We're going to wish we had called out more people. And when I say called out, that sounds aggressive and kind of hard-hearted, but we're going to wish that we had approached more people about things that, that we allowed to kind of go on. So, Question Karen has a follow up and then we'll pray and then we'll take a five minute break and then we'll finish the chapter, Lord willing. So I'm going back to what Joey said, and my question is like, I I think a lot of times, and I'm thinking about a particular heart attitude I have towards someone, I, I take it to I try harder instead of what you just did on the stage of just repenting I just keep trying harder and I do ask God to change my heart but my heart is not changed and does he does he sometimes leave you in your sin and just because I don't want to be the way I am but I am that way yeah I don't know that's leaving you in your sin I I think sometimes there's some things we pray will go away that just don't go away Mm -hmm. like Paul pray, pleaded with the Lord three times to take away the thorn in the flesh. So if there's something that's difficult for you, it becomes sinful when you, when you dwell on it and kind of voodoo doll them in your head, you know, and you're laying there thinking about how you would hurt them. And, or you, you say things to them and do things or say things about them. Those three kind of, those are sinful ways to respond to how you feel. Merely feeling a way towards someone is not sin necessarily. I think it just highlights the brokenness of the world that we live in, and especially if someone has hurt us, and, and particularly if the person who's hurt us is not repentant, and they're just kind of putting salt in the wound. There's just a reality of they're hurting us, and I, Lord, I don't feel kind toward them. Would you just keep helping me? And I think even the fact that you have a wound that's open, and you keep praying about it, I don't think you're sinning. Mm, I, I, if you think you're sinning, then you're sinning. Yeah, um, very harsh with her yeah, well then that's where you just need to keep bringing it to him though. And I don't think it means he's leaving you in your sin though. I think there's some circumstances that are really, really hard that we keep, but we need to keep it on the front burner and say, Lord, keep helping me and keep some sisters around you who are speaking honestly with you and asking you good questions and yeah, not allowing you to gossip about the particular situation. So. Thanks. I'll pray for us. We'll take a five-minute break, and then we'll finish the chapter. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we do pray that now You would help us as we um, take a break and then come back and conclude this chapter. Would You give us grace in all the things that we're hearing? In the name of Christ, amen.